instead of the bloody neck have like a ribbon nonsense all right let's get it started you are listening to chewing the scenery horror movie podcast we're a podcast about horror movies and we're going to spoil them as we talk about them so that is your warning um, we're only going to mainly spoil the features and not everything that we talk about, not literally everything. And, uh, we'd like to thank the moon Rays for mm-hmm. intro creature features at the top of the show. You can find them on Amazon, iTunes, or say hello to them on Facebook where they are the moon dash rays or the moon hyphen rays. They have to have that little dash or that hyphen, or you're going to get a totally different moon rays. Um, we're into uh, November. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hope everyone had a good Halloween. Are there a lot of uh, November deniers in your lives at all? Like people <laughs> who are still hanging on tooth and nail to Halloween? Other than me? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> there, there's a lot of them on Instagram. Yeah, a lot on Facebook. Yeah. They're like, hell no, we're again. not giving up. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I used to like just not watch any horror movies at all in November just to just to break it up yeah I watched a lot it's probably a record for me <laughs> so you finished your 31 days I did I did my 31 days okay and I was pretty happy with most of it um, since we talked last I've got the rest of my list here um, should we talk about what we watched since last time and yeah begin with Probably that list. Will, if you want to go, uh, we're your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolien. Hello. So, Will, tell us about it. Well, let's see. I think I ended with the right last time. The right? R-I-T-E. The right. The Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after that, I watched The Brood, mm-hmm. uh, which I can't believe I'd never seen. Really? Yeah. Cronenberg. Cronenberg, yeah. I'm I don't a... know if it's his first, but it's no. early. It's his third, isn't it? He did like experimental films, and but like and then he built features. up to. So he he done Shivers, aka okay. that came from within. Um, yeah, Brood was like seventy nine, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he he done a few before that. Okay. Uh, Rabid, I think was before that. All right. But uh, and then Kronos, which I'd never gotten around to watching. Ooh. Uh, Equinox. <laughs> what, what did you reckon of that? Oh man, Equinox was something else. I recommend it highly. Mm-hmm. I know nothing of Equinox. On Hulu, if you have Hulu, oh, it's on there. It's a Criterion Collection. It's, yeah. It wow. was. It was something else. It was a uh, teenagers go to the woods and find an evil book and. Mm-hmm. Well, let's but it's pretty it. much made by teenagers, you know. It's a bunch oh, it's of totally made by film kids. students who yeah. went on to do uh, special effects for Star Wars and so on. Uh huh. Making a Lovecraft movie. 
Exactly. It's a Lovecraft movie. But yeah, uh, yeah. Check it out. Good one. Um, then I watched Daughter of Darkness, which was a piece of shit. <laughs> Please avoid it. It was Anthony Perkins. Don't hold back. Tell, tell us what it was uh, really like. I think it must have been a TV movie at some point, 1989. Um, it had a lot of cuts for commercials um, and was not particularly bloody or anything. Um, <clears throat> well, I tried to debate whether or not I would have enjoyed it if I had seen it then. I don't think so. It was yeah. about vampires. It's pretty dull. There's a early 70s Danish vampire movie called Daughters of Darkness, I think, and that one's, that one's pretty good. It's like an arty... Sort of well, it couldn't be worse. <laughs> Is that the one with like the girl-on-girl vampire action? Yeah. All right. I think I, I've seen at least still photos of it. I don't think I've watched it. And then I watched Don't Torture a Duckling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lucio Fucci. Is it yeah. an instructional video? <laughs> oh, my God. It has the best ending. <laughs> oh, a priest falls off a cliff and whacks his face on every rock on the yeah. way down. Yeah, it's like Homer Simpson going down. It the... is totally Homer Simpson. It is fantastic. Hey, listeners, that part where I said we wouldn't spoil everything. Yeah. Well, we would, we would not just everything, but how to, how to torture a duck? How to not torture a duck? Don't, Don't torture, torture a duck. Don't torture a duck. There is an actual duck in it. Well, not an actual duck, but a... Plastic yeah, there's plastic ducks. There's not a guy in a duck suit? <laughs> no, no. That would be even better. It's about three kids who are killed. Yeah. Wow. Someone's killing kids in this mountain town in Italy. Uh-huh. And I think Barbara Boucher is in it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a good one. I recommend it. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Uh, I don't... I didn't write down what I watched for the 31st, so I don't remember. Oh. What did I watch? But But it was a giallo? No, um, oh, we had like a terrible time. We tried to watch like three different things. And the first one, Gene didn't want to read subtitles. Um, we were going to watch House, which, uh, okay. Japanese movie mm-hmm. from 77, I think. Yep. Houseu. Um, and then she has Civ 6 that came out this week or last week or something. So she couldn't be bothered to look at the screen if we were going to watch a movie hmm. she has to keep playing civ 6 i don't know that one uh civilization oh so it's it's one of those where you you're running the world yeah okay and then we watched uh we tried to watch a seance for a wet afternoon oh yeah, yeah. which uh i watched about half of it but it wasn't really a horror movie so then we settled on something else, and hmm. I can't remember. I should have written it down. I didn't remember to write it down. It was the last one. So that's about it. Wow. Right. Well that's, done. That's a pretty good list. Now, do you find yourself suffering from, uh, like, horror movie fatigue or Halloween fatigue after doing all of this? At some point, I think around the right, you know, we'll say between... <clears throat> day 23 and day 27 or so everything started really blending together <laughs> right before that it was a little bit of it but uh i felt like uh uh what 
was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. There. <laughs> uh, anyway, everything started blending together. I felt like anything I watched, uh, I had already seen. Right. I'm like, wait, have I seen this? I think I've seen this opening. And then I realized, no. The thing we watched last was I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, <laughs> which is a Netflix original film. Oh. Uh. <sighs> I kind of liked it. I enjoyed thinking about it afterwards. Um, it's kind of a ghost story within a ghost story. Mm, perhaps a little slow, and I did not care for the main character. I found it was kind of unbelievable. She's supposed to be a hospice nurse, but at the same time, she's seems to be incredibly naive and innocent and scared of everything. Hmm. And you would think a hospice nurse wouldn't be scared of too much not a whole lot in fact um i was around a lot of hospice people for a good a good number of years uh, including the woman i was in a relationship with at the time and uh by the end of a few months on the job they've pretty much seen it all yeah and if they're a year or two into being a hospice nurse they've really seen it all and they've had patients who have had strange experiences Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them, about... yeah, the guy turning off or turning on the light, mm-hmm. yeah, and other patients who were seeing things that previous patients had seen, but the information had they didn't know they wouldn't have no one would have been around to pass the information along of what they would see. Nobody on, living anyway. <laughs> nobody alive. So yeah, timid. No, not usually. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, don't drink poison was La Tigre. That was the band I mentioned. Oh, I mentioned okay. the song, and then we outroed with it last episode. Um, I just wanted to give them a shout out because awesome band, and I blanked on their name like a dumbass. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, back to that. You finished your thirty-one. I did. You want me to go next? Yeah. All right. When we talked last, I know I got as far as talking about. Um, Dog Soldiers and Extraordinary Tales, which is available on Netflix. And mm-hmm. it, even, it even has a really cool, stark, black and white, um, almost Sin City looking thing where um, Lugosi, I believe, is narrating that one. And it's it's um, bad audio, but it's great that it's him narrating. Um, I did uh, also mention, I think, having watched... The 307 AM project and having watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think I didn't talk about having watched House of Frankenstein and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Now, the reason I watched those two back to back is because I was thinking Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. House of Frankenstein doesn't do it for me as much. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay, but it doesn't really get moving along until maybe three quarters of the way through the movie. And it's, it's, it's very loaded toward the back end of the movie. And it's a, it's a drag. Uh, it's kind of a dull movie for most of it. And that's me not having watched it for years. Um, but Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman is pretty action-packed and a lot of fun. Well, they don't actually meet until the last reel, do they? <laughs> they don't until the last reel. But 
there's plenty of other stuff that happens mm-hmm. leading and there are up a lot to of it. comedic misses right like they almost run into each other but <laughs> right. he's just getting out of a taxi and mm-hmm. right. yeah yeah and then the other one gets splashed and he has to go in and All change right. when will they meet up oh come on uh then when they finally make out at the end it's beautiful uh but that one's from 1943 and uh those actors weren't really bored yet with all of it and they weren't just you know falling apart it, it was all there was enough energy still in it to where it, it felt pretty good mm-hmm. so i enjoyed those um phantasm five ravager which <laughs> you watch that again no let's bring it up again because <laughs> i did watch phantasm for Whatever the hell the tagline is on that one. Oblivion. Oblivion. Uh, the reason I think I was fine with Phantasm Five Ravager was because it was the exact same illogical dream goofy bullshit as, you know, all the other sequels. I think 2 was kind of the standout as far as doing something a little different, but 3 and 4 were just like 5. <laughs> it was just more of the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, so... I was working from home. That had to been a Friday, the 28th, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, I was working from home that day, uh, illustrating, and I also watched The Witch, a rewatch of The Witch. So that was a back-to-back. Um, the, so going into Halloween, I figured, okay, let's go with this. I watched Night of the Living Dead on the 29th, uh, Young Frankenstein on the 30th, and then John Carpenter's Halloween on Halloween, uh, interrupted a few times by trick-or-treaters, but we don't get a lot of them in our neighborhood. Uh, the the rich neighborhood near here gets a lot of trick-or-treaters. Mm. Oh, I imagine. Including all of the kids probably from this neighborhood <laughs> heading over there. Um, and then I watched, of course, Tenebrae for this show. Uh, I realized I'd never seen the Paul Lind Halloween special. It was one wow. of those total cheeseball things from the 70s. I can only imagine. It's pretty bad. Yeah, but uh, it was worth watching just to kind of go. All right, this is something I would have seen as a kid, but didn't. Yeah, yeah. it's so who's, yeah. who's this? Paul Lind was. Um, you ever watch Bewitched? Mm-hmm. He was Uncle Arthur. Uh, he did the voice of Templeton on Charlotte's Web. Um, oh, I, I know the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah you would know the voice. Um, anyway, so Paul Lind, uh, he did the uh, Halloween special in. I want to say it was 76 or 77 and the musical guest was kiss and it's when the destroyer album was out and they were pretty much on their way up to being at the top of their game totally lip-syncing you know <laughs> but they still look like stuff people in the 70s have not seen on their television before mm-hmm. yeah a few of them had maybe witnessed alice cooper for a moment or two but most people hadn't seen anything like kiss so I imagine it blew a few minds, but they had uh, the actress who played Witchy Poo on H.R. Puff and stuff, and then the actress who played the Wicked Witch of the West, um, you know her name. Margaret Hamilton? Mar- yes, Margaret Hamilton. Uh, they were both on there in character. Hmm. Uh, Tim Conway from the Carol Burnett Show. I mean, just the usual 70s stuff. What's a Tim Conway? Tim Conway. <laughs> you know exactly who that is. The, the other half of Harvey Corman and Tim Conway. Oh, man. <laughs> so I who, tried watching the Carol Burnett show the other day. Not as funny it as on. it was when you were five, huh? <sighs> no, it was it was hard to sit through. 
it was mostly them trying not to crack up. Yeah. And uh, and if they were really that funny, you could understand and it. And it would be like, these skits aren't funny at all, so I think they're doing <laughs> drugs backstage or something. I think everybody in the 70s was just coked up and Oh, I believe flailing. so. And then Carnival of Souls was on uh, some weird local access. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like I turned it on and I went, oh, I think I know this. Oh, wait a minute. This is Carnival of Souls. So I watched a good 30, 40 minutes of it. It was, it was cool to see it again. So that was my October um, 31 days uh, week, the last week of it or so. Um, so the question I, that I was asking you guys was, are you experiencing Halloween fatigue? Do you know any uh, November deniers? Um not that I've seen. Yeah. I kind of missed out on Halloween this year. So. Yeah, you had family stuff that happened. Mm. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so, um, I feel like I got my fair share of Halloween. I wanted to decorate better than I did, but at least I got the cats and the strobe lights out front. So, <clears throat> last year I put the lights up and the squirrels bit through them, like, immediately. Oh, man. Like, that was so disappointing I have was to... they flashing and their eyes kind of glowed <laughs> I wish it was something cool like I didn't even get to turn them on once I came home and they were dangling oh man and they had never done this before seven or eight years of hanging lights in the house and they'd never bothered any of it before and then they suddenly decided all of these wires need to be bitten through yep man squirrels rats with bushy tails they are Jolien, what about you? What have you watched? Uh, well, um, I meant I saw the Ice Pirates from Ice 1984. Pirates. Oh, okay, that yeah, one? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Robert Urich, Angelica Houston were in this kind of strawberry cage on her shoulders, and oh my uh, god, it's been so long since I've seen Ice Ron Pirates. Ron Perlman looking very young. Uh, John Carradine looking very old. Oh, oh yeah, and his hands look just horrible arthritic and he wasn't that old he was just you know alcohol yeah he looks like 150 but he yeah, was he's, 37 yeah <laughs> well yeah he, he was like uh i worked it out he was 78 okay but he looks ancient yeah um but anyway it's pretty stupid yeah it's, it's like it's, really stupid it's 1984 let's do a takeoff from star wars mm-hmm yeah <laughs> it's got a couple of ideas in it that are interesting, but uh, is that the one with space herpes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the space herpes. The ship, space the herpes was like herpes. the only thing I remember from that movie. <laughs> that was the joke for years and years and years. You're gonna get space herpes. <laughs> I don't even know if we knew what herpes was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay, and then I saw a couple of uh, Vincent Price movies on Blu-ray. Uh, the Raven and Comedy of Terrors. Have you seen those? I've seen The Raven. I've not seen Yeah, The, Ra the Raven has got uh, Price and Law and Karloff uh, and uh, Hazel Court and uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. Again, <laughs> looking very young. Um, and then Comedy of Terrors, you've got uh, Price, Laurie, Karloff and uh, Basil Rathbone and Joey Brown and Beverly Hills from The Brides of Blood. Mm. movie uh you know they're, they're both kind of my old 
And they're just so entertaining because you've got those people in it. Yeah. You can just watch them do anything. Peter Laurie had living like mad. <laughs> My favorite one is goes, uh, you coward, you defended yourself. Um, <laughs> hey, that's Booberry. <laughs> I saw Bowery to Baghdad, which is one of the last Bowery. Bowery Boys movies. Oh yeah, and they were Bowery men by that time. Oh yeah, they were in the forties, playing you know, idiotic teenagers. So that's from fifty-five. It's got Eric Bloor in it as the genie. He's he's always fun. He's Eric like, Bloor. One of those character actors. He's, he's usually this really lugubrious kind of butler sort of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll you'll know his, his very distinctive voice. But um, yeah, that was one of his last movies. I uh, saw so both the TV films of Salem's Lot. Um, the Blu-ray of the uh, 70s one just came out. It's about 10 bucks for three hours. Toby Hooper movie. Really? Looks great. Sounds great. Wow. Um, yeah. That's, Everyone should have it. It's great. That's really cool. And it's got, it's got like iconic vampires in it. You know, everyone who's seen it remembers the kid at the window. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Um, and it's got a great cast. I mean, this, this town is just stuffed with character actors. Yeah. Um, it's so, been a long time since I've seen that one, but yeah, it was always good. And James Mason is—he's—he's he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He, he's different to the character in the in the novel, but he's—he's he's such a good uh, sinister guy. And Reggie Nowder is the the lead vampire. Uh, yeah, that's really good. And then then the have you seen the the have you seen that one? Uh, yeah, I've seen the okay. original one. And have you seen the? Uh, they did a no, I didn't even know they made a remake. Two thousand four for. A, TNT. Now that one gets a lot of hate. Channel with um, that one I guy in it. it. No, it's got yeah, it's Rob Lowe and Donald Sutherland in the uh, um, the role that James Mason did. Um, Rutger Hauer is the lead vampire. He's close, closer to the one in the novel. He's like an articulate. Guy. Uh. Um, it feels more dated because it's got those, you know, the early two thousands. Mannerisms of uh, how they edited and mm-hmm. the flash editing and the whooshy flashbacks and the. Um, it's like these new tropes are great. They'll never go out of style. Mm, Let's just throw them in our sh- our movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't hate it. The first half of it just is you just feel like you're flipping through the book. It's like every scene is gets about two seconds. Oh. You just feel like you're rushing through it, and the second half it it slows up, and, you know, gives it a bit more time, and it's you know it's quite enjoyable. Um, the climax is spoiled because the the boom mic comes down into the shot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? It's supposed to be the scariest bit of the whole thing, and turns into the here amateur comes the hour. microphone. Hello. Wow. <laughs> I think they would like digitize that the hell out. Yeah. There's been enough time, right? Yeah, it's funny. That computers when, back in 2005, didn't they? They did. Yeah. They were really underpowered, you know. Yeah. They couldn't do much. It would have taken like a week to render that. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How could someone not see that? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, that's what I watched. And then I watched uh, Tenebrae three times. Uh, so I watched the, the new Blu-ray, which is fantastic. Just crank that up. Uh, so I watched that in Italian, and then I watched it... Uh, I watched the DVD with the commentary track because it's uh, Dario Argento and Claudio Simonetti. Okay, yeah. It's kind of a weird commentary track because th- them and the mo- the moderator 
none of them are speaking their first language. Right, right. <laughs> I was going to ask you: do they do they do do they have like language selection on it? Because <laughs> they should do it in Italian, and then uh, you could have subtitles. Yeah, I've, I've seen some like Japanese movies where they subtitle the commentaries. That would be cool. Um, they're just like, no, we speak in the yeah, English. Yeah, so you have to like pick through and try and figure out what they actually mean to say. But uh, it's interesting. There's lots of insights. And then the the new I watched the new Blu-ray again because uh, Maitland McDonough, who did the you know the the essential Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds book on Dario Argento, uh, she does the commentary on the the new Blu-ray. Wow. So. So. Uh, before we talk about Tenebrae, um, Will, do you remember your first exposure to Dario Argento's movies? Yeah, it was the Jolians with Suspiria. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> in a deep end. Yeah, because yeah. it, it was similar for me, but uh, so you didn't have anything back in the day from the movie rental store? No, I don't remember any Argento. I'm pretty sure they would have stuck with me. Yeah, stuff was hard to find back then, I imagine, for any video store. Like, they had to really be on the ball to get a hold of an import like that, I think, back in those days. So, Suspiria, right out of the gate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 my experience was pretty much the same. I think I was in college, and my friend Paul Larson had, I think, two or three, three or four Argento movies on VHS. He just loaned them to me. And Suspiria was the standout because of the, the color design of it. Mm-hmm. It's just so stylized. Yeah. And the music and everything. It was just like, wow. I had heard of these movies, had not sought them out, maybe passed on the opportunity to view them once or twice. And then uh, Paul was just like, no, you've you got to watch this. And it was great. So I've been a fan ever since. Never happened to see Tenebrae, though, mm. until just the other night. Yeah, it was really hard to see. And there's still, like in Germany, you still can't see it uncut. Yeah. Really? They're pretty uptight yeah. about this old movie and its gore. Yeah, um, the uh, in the UK you couldn't see Uncut until two thousand three. Wow, that's crazy. That's that whole video nasty. It was about again. as tame as a child's cartoon now. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> itchy and scratchy. Someone getting their arm lopped off. That's seen. I've seen that every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bored by it now. If it had more groin violence and fart jokes, it'd be just like a kid's. It'd be just like movie. a kid's movie. What people Bloody. what people are letting their kids watch on The Walking Dead is ten times gorier than anything in Tenebrae. I mean, there are beatings and stompings and slashings, and it's just not it's not that gory anymore. I, I think Germany should just realize it's time to relax. And yeah, I don't know what it is with that. Well, even in Italy, I mean, uh, for for different reasons, you couldn't see an uncut version for a long time. Wow. Um, um, apparently, largely because um, the the first woman you see killed, mm-hmm. um, the shop oh no no lifter. Jane Jane uh, one, the last one of the last women you see killed, um, Veronica Lario. Uh, she married uh, Silvio Berlusconi, mm-hmm. and uh, they were, they were married for twenty years, and um, so uh, because the, you know she has an especially gory death, yeah. Um, Does she play Jane? Yeah, Caro? Jane Macero. So, so yeah, that, that's still being cut into the late nineties. Wow. Basically, it was a political thing. Yeah, 
Simon, so, you know, his, his wife getting jumped up in the next. So was it that they they didn't want people seeing that? She felt like, yeah, okay, fine. It was, and yeah. Now they've got divorces, fine. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, show it. <laughs> Put that part on an A-B loop and watch it over and over. <laughs> Especially the arm chopping. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this thing, man, uh, it is still taking a little getting used to watching these American actors with their voices overdubbed. It's mm. just weird. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure John Saxon speaks English. He, he was Italian. Uh, he, from an Italian family, anyway. Oh, was he? And, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Saxon. Like John Saxon is not his birth name. <laughs> you know the Italian <laughs> name Saxon? It's, sh- it's shortened from Saxony. Uh, uh, yeah. Anthony Franciosa was, uh, you know, from an Italian family. Okay. All right. Well, that that makes a little bit more oh, sense. And John Saxon did a bunch of Italian movies. Yeah. I've probably seen. I know I've seen some. Cannibal uh, Apocalypse. And... Yeah. I can't think of anything other than Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Oh yes. That's where I first saw John Saxon. Well, he was in the the what's usually called the first Jello, which is the girl who saw too much. Oh, okay. Or the girl who knew too much mm-hmm. from '63. Uh, some Mario Barber. Yeah. Uh, he was in Enter the Dragon. Didn't you see that oh, yeah. before? <laughs> that should have that should have been before Nightmare for you. No, I no? saw Nightmare way before I saw Enter the Dragon. Wow. I saw Nightmare probably third grade or something. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I said I probably started watching horror movies about third grade. Yeah, you're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> third grade's about when you should really kick it into high gear. Certainly. When the kids should really start watching the bloody stuff. How about you, Jolien? When's the first time you got got your mitts on some uh, uh, Dario Argento? I think it would have been Suspiria. Got that on video, and yeah, I watched that. And because I was going to art college, I'd show it to everyone I could. Oh yeah. And then we had a like a Halloween all night movie party. So we started out with something pretty conventional. I think it was Halloween 2. Right. And uh, I was kind of worried about uh, Suspiria because I mean, it's it's set at a girls' ballet school. So right. The whole cast is women. There's, like, there's one guy in the whole thing, isn't there? I think yeah. so. That's about it. And, uh, yeah, so it's all the violence is, you know, between the women. So I, I, was, I was, you know, a little nervous about showing it because you know, most, most of the people in the room were women. But uh, they loved it. Just it was just looked great. This really, you know, patched into something for them. Oh yeah, I don't think anybody who has an open mind to good movies could watch this and not at least get something out of the look of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, if the content for some reason doesn't do it for them, fine, okay. But I mean, to just look at the thing, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's the same, um, a lot of the same crews, the same uh, director of photography and. So what did happen as far as being so stylized with color, especially what happened between the earlier work and then Tenebrae, which was 82? Do you any idea? Like, did did Argento decide to dial it back a little bit? Well, the, the whole idea was he wanted it bright. Um, it, the whole movie's ironic. It's very uh, well lit. So, yeah, yeah it's it's um, yeah, the whole idea was to have as much much of it be white and blues and um and then have so much of it take place in bright day 
That was an aesthetic decision he wanted to go with. Yeah, I don't so think... all the darkness is internal. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, he he he'd seen like TV cop shows like Columbo and Charlie's Angels, where they had like they film with simple bright light, everything brightly lit. Okay. And uh, he liked that look, and he also liked this film called Possession from '81. Yeah. The one with Isabella Gianni and Oh, okay, yeah. In Berlin. <clears throat> I haven't watched that uh, yet. And that's got all this harsh urban lighting. And he'd, he'd just done these, like, horror movies. He'd gone into fantasy in a big way. And uh, so he'd done this, like, expressionistic shadows and um, all the, the you know, bright primary colors. Right. You know, he'd, you know, he'd done that. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. And I anything on screen with uh, Argento is always a choice. I mean, there's never, like... Oh, he just you know threw something out there to see what would happen. No, it, like everything's very deliberate. Yeah, yeah. Every every time I watch this movie, you you see this because like the first time you see it, you think, why is he showing that? What what's that person doing? You know, what, what? right? But uh, the more you see it, the more you know everything plays a part in it. Yeah, and it goes together. So these characters, as they're introduced, um, you know, you're not sure at first if you're seeing New York or Rome with the airport. Like they kind of flip back and forth, you know, because you see the girl shoplifting. And I don't know if this was, if either of you had trouble discerning between like who's where and what's what. But. Well, no, Peter Neal starts out in New York because he, right. he cycles out to the is it JFK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the Rolls Royce follows him. Right. <laughs> and then they, uh, yeah, and they take his bag at some point. Yeah. He yeah, leaves he... his bag unattended. Which you don't do anymore. No, nope. he's been stalked by his ex and her accomplice. Yeah. So the, yeah, so there's that. Uh, when I was first watching it, they showed the girl who was shoplifting, and I'm like, "Wait, is that is that in JFK, or is he has he made the flight yet?" And I had a little oh. little trouble putting that together, and then oh, so you didn't realize that was Rome. I no. they said Roma in yeah. big letters when they went to Rome. Well, I thought, oh man, they they were just shooting Rome for New York, just you know like. Well, no, they, they actually put up night. letters that said Roma. Oh, did they? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, I looked away to write stuff down. Yeah, you must. Uh, yeah, she's, she's that's a, why I watch these things twice before the show. <laughs> that character is Elsa Mani. She's played by uh, Anya Pieroni. And did she uh-huh. look familiar to you? No, but she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's uh, she was Meta Lacrimarum in Inferno. Oh, so okay. So previous movie. So mm-hmm. she's the girl with the cat who's in the lecture hall. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's the babysitter in House by the Cemetery. Okay. But um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it's kind of kind of a, another in joke that she is the third mother, and oh. and this movie's called Tenebrae. So a lot of people were disappointed because they went into it thinking, oh, this is the third mother movie. Ah. Oh. But uh, he, he kills her off first and uh, yeah <clears throat> i knew immediately like well don't get attached to her because she's <laughs> she is not gonna make it <laughs> but she did you know with the limited screen time she did a good job yeah so yeah she uh she had that weird like creepy street character after her yeah yeah guy pops out the fence yeah and I kind of wondered after she got through the gate and like smashed his hands with the gate, like how did he then? I mean, he had to. Yeah, and then he gets in there somehow. Yeah, he's outside of her window. 
I think he could climb over the fence. I guess it wasn't that big of a fence. It wasn't that tall. Yeah, of course, he wasn't the worst of her problems at that moment. <laughs> no. Yeah, Maybe that... he was employed by that other guy. <laughs> the, the slashinger. Yeah. Yeah, and we're straight into the slashing right away. Yep. So she was shoplifting um, the book. Peter Neal's book. Yeah. Ten and Bray. And all of a sudden, the killer is stuffing the pages into her mouth. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seemed like, well, there's got to be some uh, symbolic reason for all of this. Yeah, and the film starts with him tearing up the book and throwing it in a fire as well. Yeah. yeah. He's destroying the text. And we hear a, a reading from it, like a quote mm-hmm. from the book. And we're, you know, we're, we're kind of off and running. There's violence right away, and it's like right into the police investigation. Yeah. So by yeah. the Italian Mulder and Scully. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this 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 guy plays hardball, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed the cops in this movie. Yeah, so it, that's um, Detective Germani is played by Giuliano Gemma, who is, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was in The Leopard, which is this fantastic movie from the early 60s. I don't know that one. Uh, Lucino Visconti has got uh, Burt Lancaster in it. As this, hmm. He's this like patriarch of this old Italian family, which is not really coping with the modern day. Ah. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you've seen like spaghetti westerns and things like, yeah. like the Ringo films, he's in those, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know various crime movies. Uh, and in the English, uh, the spoken English version of Tenebrae, he's dubbed by um, David Graham, okay. who did the voices for a lot of the uh, Super Mario series. Oh, okay. He still does. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, he's doing the new Thunderbird series. He, he played Parker and. In a whole bunch of different characters. But okay. Yeah. And then uh, um, <clears throat> Anne is dubbed by uh, Teresa Russell. Oh, okay. So is is the music that we hear that kicks in at the beginning of the movie, is that related to the musicians in Goblin? Yeah, so it's three of them. The, okay. The, I think the drummer had, they'd split, and then the drummer uh, had his own band, which was Goblin, so they couldn't use that name, so they're credited by their surnames. So it's Claudio Simonetti, mm-hmm. Fabio Pignatelli, and Massimo Morante. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so it's basically Goblin. It's basically three quarters of Goblin. <laughs> um, yeah, Dario Nicolodi, she, she, she introduced them to Dario Argento back in the 70s. They, they were known as um, the Cherry Five. The Cherry Five. And uh, <laughs> so she, and there was like a creepy track on one of their albums, and uh, Dario introduced them to Dario and, and said, oh, check these guys out. And then he said he got them to score a Deep Red, yeah. mm-hmm. for which they changed their name to Goblin. Nice. Yeah. Did they ever come up with another name without the drummer? Like, was there another name that they used at all? Or just their names? Three quarters Goblin. They should have yeah. maybe used various names, didn't they? Goblin UK. Yeah. Goblin UK. That's <laughs> I, think, it. I think it's like with, you know, that... You know, they were a prog rock band. There's there's a group called Yes, and when they split up, and they'd like two or three of them would have, they just be at their surnames as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, then of course they all ended up in super groups. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, it was what it was. None of it was as good as Yes was as a band. But 
not a prog rock person so much myself. No, oh, and it, it was it was big in Italy for a lot longer than it was in in the UK. Oh. In the UK kind of punk kind of swept it away. Right. And uh, you know it's only come back in the last few years, but um, yeah, in Italy it kept going. Oh. They they marched to the beat of their own drum. <laughs> so. Uh, the next scene that happens, uh, the author is at some sort of a press party and he's getting called out for the sexist uh, bent mm-hmm. on his work. Yes, by uh, Tilda. Yeah. So what do we know her from? Uh, she was in Caligula. Okay. And she'd just been in uh, Hercules. Oh, no, she. the next year she was in Hercules. So she was kind of into that whole sword and sandals scene. Yeah. yeah, she'd missed out on the golden age of uh, like yeah, peplum movies, but yeah. uh, she got the tail end of the Caligula is not really a peplum movie. Have you seen that one? Caligula, no, yeah, I it's have. like this never seen penthouse that. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, big budget Roman orgy. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, yeah. Well, it probably wasn't clear to everybody who was going to be in it exactly what was going to go. Yeah, on. John Gilgood. He had no idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's like, what? Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I vaguely remember a scene in a, an arena where they've got the guys buried up to their necks and they've got this, some kind of, looks like a huge farming machine. Ah. Yeah, sex and violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a very unsexy movie. Well, you get to see during this press party that John Saxon is, is really good at uh, running interference. He's kind of like uh, the, the manager slash wingman. Yeah, you don't really think things go further than you might expect agents to let it go these days. Oh, yeah. Like he doesn't, you know, he lets them fight his own fight all yeah. the time. But. Yeah, there, the, yeah. these days there would just be some some bodyguard would just scruff them and run, right. them, run them out of the room and the interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did know the interviewer. Yeah, he's this like TV show interviewer, isn't he? Uh, well, I mean the the lady. Oh, uh, the lady, uh, yeah. Tilda. Yeah, Tilda. Yeah. He knew her. So. Yeah, and she's an old friend of Peter Neal as well. Yeah, so that's why they didn't run her off immediately. They were they were trying to play nice as yeah. long as possible. Now, now the the girlfriend is it, is it just his girlfriend in the context of this movie? This other woman that is an is that the assistant? Yeah, yeah. She's been with him for like six years as his assistant. Okay. Yeah. And during that time, he was with uh, Jane for four years. So okay. they haven't been able to get together. Oh, okay. On a, on, a, on a closer basis. Okay. So they were just that familiar from having worked together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I wasn't clear on whether there was some relationship or, you know, something on again, off again. Yeah, they have a night together, like, late in the movie. Yeah, she should... says something like, we've been together six years and we've never slept in the same room or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Right. Yeah. And, and, and your desk doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he has a gift for her, but that's when he finds out the bag was vandalized. Yeah. So so that was the work of uh, Jane? Jane and, and Jane's accomplice. And her accomplice. Okay. Yeah, that must have been fast work because he yeah. uses that bag for a minute. And... Yeah, he's only gone for a minute. I thought they put a bomb in it. <laughs> But they just like. And I was like, I don't think there'll be a bomb in an Argento film that doesn't seem no. Argento-y. 
Everything was kind of slashed up and splattered with ink or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the watch was smashed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll teach her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, when the... Uh, when the when the murder uh, has come to the point of, I should say, uh, when the investigators get to the point where they're going to go around and ask some questions, they find Peter Neal, and uh, they ask him if he knows any if he has any connection or knows anybody involved with this murder, and of course he says no. Um, the most important about thing about this scene is that uh, the investigator uh, does not refuse the drink. Yes, he says he only drinks <laughs> right. on duty. He only drinks on duty, which is great. Might and, steal that. Yeah, <laughs> and of course it's scotch, but we don't see a J and B bottle at all. No, which I don't know what the deal is with that. It's always J and B. Yeah, yeah. It's not the best scotch there is. It's a big giant glass of it. Yeah. Yeah, they took a water glass and filled it like a third of the way full. Yeah, that's a lot of scotch. I guess they took him seriously. I'm going to go home after this and lay down. (laughs) Have a little nap. (laughs) Uh, uh, Maitland McDonough points out that um, this film has got lots of rhymes in it. Uh You don't pick up on it consciously the first couple of times, but once you start paying attention, there's characters and objects are doubled. Oh, okay. the, The last part of it reflects the first part of it. Just like Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, well, the key things in it, there's at least two of. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, and she points out how um, you've got uh, the assistant Anne, Dario Nicolodi, looks a lot like the detective Altieri. Uh-huh. Uh, Carola Stagnaro. And I remember the first time I saw it with a bunch of people and they, they were confused between the characters yeah, because so many of them are cast, so they're the same size. And yeah, it's hair color. Some point later in the film, I thought it was Anne and it mm-hmm. was the policewoman. Yeah. So, and, which... and when when the characters they're kind of doppelgangers, mm-hmm. and immediately after they get confused with their double, mm-hmm. that's when they die. Oh, okay. So, yeah, start picking up on these rhyming patterns that go on. Oh. So so, uh, so when, when the detective is confused with uh, Anne, she gets clobbered. Yep. Etc. Wow. So a third viewing will be in order. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, I wonder if we can go, and go into it later, but um, in, in his apartment in Rome, uh, there's this sculpture you know you know there's always like lethal looking sculptures yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh it's it's like a crystal plumage it's uh right. this bird's wing this sharp thing i i I'd, I'd be terrified of it <laughs> yeah but uh yeah so you've got that that sharp sculpture and then of course there's a sharp sculpture at the end of the movie yeah, yeah. and then there's also this uh there's all these wall paintings or or some kind of wall art around this apartment and one of them is exactly like this wing Oh, oh! So when you the if when the characters come through the entry door to the apartment, the wall to their left will have this big picture on it, and it's it's this white version of the sculpture. Wow! Oh, all right, <laughs> that is good to know. Um, during this visit from the investigators, uh, there's the weird whispery phone call, <laughs> and of course, everybody gets the idea right away. 
that the call could be coming from the phone booth outside on the street. Now, for our younger listeners, a phone booth was a box with a phone in it. And what was the street again? Uh, well, before we got hover cars, there used to be these uh, paved uh, thoroughfares that you would drive motor cars on. Huh. Speaking of motor cars, so when they go running out to see, is there a caller in the mm-hmm. phone booth? This guy runs off <laughs> right. the road. Is there a reason? Yeah, they just, just they don't out pay the... any attention well, to him, do they? She just goes back to the side and they chat about yeah. something else. There's a very cavalier <laughs> attitude in Italy about car accidents. Yeah. Uh, hey, you come back here. Oh, okay. How about the, I think we missed it, but how about the scene where John Haxon, Saxon's showing that his hat won't fall off? Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. Later, his hat does fall right. off, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he moves his head around very suddenly. Hey, look. <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Well, the other thing you notice about this, it's uh, it's shot around, it's set in Rome. Uh-huh. But there's nothing that you'd recognize as Rome. Yeah, yeah there's no, no Colosseum, any, really, any of that. Uh, yeah, it's all ultra-modern and underpopulated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it... it it was modern Rome for sure. Yeah, it, this is a this is a district called the EUR. They they pronounce it differently in the film. It's like EUR, but it it was this uh, district that Mussolini commissioned okay. to celebrate twenty years of fascism. Okay, and uh, so it's all based on this like ancient Roman layout, oh. with circular things with things radiating, and uh, so all these modern buildings and and rationalist architecture and. Um, and it's vaguely futuristic, and you see it in a few films. Like uh, one of Argento's idols is Michelangelo Antonioni. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see a lot of it in uh, Le Clis. Okay. Uh, Le Clis you should really check out if you want to see where Argento's coming from, because there's, there's shots in that. Like a guy, a character trapped between glass doors. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you can also see this area in um, Eight and a Half. Oh yeah, Fellini. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, so a lot of the like vaguely futuristic stuff in that, and then uh, and Boccaccio seventy, uh, it's in there as well. Cool. But it, yeah, Argento had this idea that Tenebrae was set in the near future. Oh, and, it, and something's happened and it's depopulated. Oh, oh wow. I didn't know that at all. Um, That's cool. Yeah, you wouldn't pick up and you just think, oh, this, this it's this kind of weird modern looking. City they're in with not many people in it. Right. And characters can go running around at night and not see anyone. I, yeah. I, I just thought it was a, a uh, you know, rich district that not many people lived in. Yeah. I enjoyed that we met the character Gianni and, uh, yeah, he's, and they keep calling him Johnny. Yeah. Gianni. Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> they're not pronouncing a Gianni at all. So... That was yeah. cool. No, okay. What's his name? Uh, Christian Borromeo. And he was in a bunch of other stuff too. I, I looked at his IMDb, and he he got a lot of like small parts in other movies. Mm-hmm. So he he was he chased it down. Yeah. He got paid. I mean, he's the character in this movie who gets trapped behind a glass wall and witnesses a murder, but yeah. doesn't quite understand what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's another callback to Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> There's, there's a lot to be harvested here. Yeah, and he's also the, the two youngest characters that you see, like there's him and Maria. They both get killed in the same location. Mm-hmm. Right. And before each of their murders, they, they, there's a misplaced key. 
Oh, yes. Right. I was going to ask you where the second key was, but it's in the car. Yeah, because he, he leaves it in he the car. He takes the car. And then, yeah, and then that's right. She gets killed because the killer has left his keys back home. Mm hmm. And goes back. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, this the the story gets interrupted by this dream sequence of the woman yes. with the with the red shoes, and it's weird. It's kind yes. of rapey and threatening. You know, they they all make sure that the that uh, her face is at dong level, and they surround her. It mm-hmm. looks like it's time for the sword fight, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, everything goes like ultra violent, and then the scene is over. Do you? This is supposed to be is from it, his is book. Is there anything else that's disturbing or different or weird about it? Well, all I could think was this, this is a weird dream sequence. Um, the woman starts taking her top off. The guys surround her. One of them smacks her. And then mm-hmm. the other four guys run him down. And then she kicks him and then shoves her stiletto down his throat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What should I be getting from that? Other than <laughs> well, I guessed it was from his book. At the end, you don't know who's... You don't know what this is. Yeah. No, you don't. Until the end, when uh, you get told that when he was on Rhode Island, there was an incident where a woman was killed, and he and suspicion fell on him, but he there was no evidence. Okay. Yeah. But this is the traumatizing incident. Okay. Uh, so you you get that it's some kind of horrible incident that's happened to some character, probably the killer. But you don't know who it is, yeah. what you're seeing, when it is, where it is. Uh, you've got this like, so it's all bright again. Everyone's in white. Yeah, it's on a beach. Got, yeah. Apart from these custom-made shoes, right? You know, blood red shoes. Um, yeah, uh, who who designed those? It uh, says at the end. Uh, Diego de la Valle. Um, yeah, the woman in in that was born a man. Okay. She's so so you get these kind of hard, sharp features. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Yeah, she's uh, she used the name Eva Robbins, and she was in the Hercules movies okay. as well in the eighties. So we're talking about the actor, not the character. Yeah. Okay. Um, but she, yeah, she's playing this, um, you know, character in this traumatic incident, and uh, who who basically emasculates this one of the kids. Okay. So it's, uh, and that also reminds you of like previous films and things like Suddenly, Suddenly Last Summer, and um, she and she's also kind of like the uh, uh, La Saragina character in Eight and a Half, you know, this woman on the beach that all the local boys know and initiates them into sex. Okay. But, uh, yeah, and and you also get the water motif. Like every time the killer, some something happens, there's this, there's you see water or you hear water. So when it goes into these flashbacks, you get this kind of bloopy noise in the yeah. soundtrack. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. So there's like rain, swimming pools. Yeah. Reflections. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is all starting to make a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> after this dream sequence, they, they cut to a bar scene. And my favorite part about this is that it's kind of a sit-down restaurant bar but there's also video games nearby which i think in the early 80s happened a lot but the best part that really told you this was 1982 was the two guys finished playing the video games and they do that 
that cool guy handshake. <laughs> <laughs> and they look like a couple of total douches. And all of a sudden, the guy with the molester mustache pops out from around the corner. Yeah. To you know, to the right. other, the other woman at the table. Yeah. And I'm thinking like these are just the most '80s looking dorks. And he looks. He's the twin of Bertie. Okay. He's like this skinny guy with a mustache. Okay. With a molestache. He's, he's got this like toucan and his tie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the biggest dork. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe he was a cool guy in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't look too thrilled. No. So, so this is a lesbian couple, but they're sort of bisexual. Yeah, Marion is bisexual at least. Right. I didn't think they were a couple. I thought they were just roommates. Well, no, no, no. So they 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 sleep are together. a couple. Yeah, she she refers to. Okay. Like when they when they have the fight, she says, uh, "Oh, he did things for me that you never did." Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, both the actresses, their first name is Morella. Hmm. Oh. Coincidence? I think not. I don't know. <laughs> the craziest camera work in the whole movie, though, is when it comes back to their apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's clear that, you know, things aren't happy because one of them got with the dude and the other. All the relationships in this are dangerous. Oh, yeah. Just like... But the camera goes up into the gutters and right. around the roof and shows us the sighting. And it's it's really interesting now. Is is there some symbolism with... Well, that's what people, people are like so divided about this. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just flashy camera work. That's what but I he thought. went to a great deal of travel to do this. This Luma crane had just been invented. There was only one. It was in Paris. So he had to import this. Okay. They had to build a... And this was still a pretty bulky, like, cantilevered camera. Right. It wasn't like the tiny things they have now. But... So they had to build this scaffolding over the top of this building. Yeah. Uh, to, to carry this Luma crane on. Uh, it took three days to shoot this thing. And the distributor was begging him, Dario, take it out, take it out. It doesn't mean anything. It's got to mean but something. He had to have it in there. Um, yeah. I assumed he was showing off, just making it look cool. It's definitely showing off, but it's also it's also part of the like madness. Like The whole movie, it's like this psychotic vision. Everything's too bright and yeah. hard-edged and dangerous. And... Uh, you think, is this some point point of view of someone? But it's not. It defies that. Right. It can't be. Uh, you know, is it is it like the, the lurking eyes outside the window in Suspiria? Is, is it the floating boy from Salem's Lot? Right. <laughs> That's the only possibility. Yeah, and you, you're still not sure if the, if it's going to be another supernatural film at this point, right? Yeah. Um, but it, 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 like, breaks both those expectations. There's a lot of misdirection in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, once it gets over the top, you you see the killer's hands come up and start cutting into this window yeah. from the corner of the screen. So it's obviously not the POV of the killer. Mm-hmm. And the music's blaring away. And then once it once the camera goes back into the building, uh, Tilda yells at Marion, turn that damn thing off. And yeah. Turn it down. And you realise that she's been playing a record. It wasn't... Yeah. You know, it's this diegetic music. But... Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of leading you. It's really deceptive and crazy. <laughs> and the slashing happens right away. Yeah. Yeah, it's like right into more murder. Yeah, and so he, she changes out one sheer white shirt into another. 
and he slashes through it. Yeah. Like we see her view of it getting slashed open. Yeah, so that was another poster image. Yeah. So both these women ended up as posters. <laughs> and uh, this is where it, it really is clear to us this is a giallo because we see black gloves and a straight razor. Right. Like this is, this is yeah. trademark Glinting stuff. Glinting blue metal. And, yeah. And you also see like, there's this poster for a Rita Hayworth movie. Uh, and the Italian title is Fashina. Okay. Fascination. Um, that's, but the English title is Covergirl. So where she's made into a photographic model. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't think I shouldn't read anything into that. But it could, it that's, just, what, that's the poster you see. It could be. Hey. De- yeah, yeah. It could be decoration, or yeah. it could it could have some more meaning. Um, the if. next the next scene is when we meet Maria, the landlord's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she comes to fix the hot water because there's like mm-hmm. a like a reset button maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he says the switch is somewhere in there. Yeah, and he's kind of perving on her. You can you can kind of read that, or is he? I don't know. I didn't read no. him as perving on her. I read her as perhaps being a little too flirtatious, flirty kind of, but an innocent sort of. 17 flirty because she brushes up against him Mm -hmm. when she leaves the bathroom and there's plenty of room to get out of the bathroom if he had done that yeah sure i'd agree with you but no she brushes up against him and he looks a little like uh, yeah you're a kid right (laughs) and and of course when the um when the assistant says something about it he says that is jailbait right right yeah the very next thing we see the Mario Brothers are in the hallway. Did you pick up on the Mario Brothers? Yes. Okay. Was Donkey Kong a game yet? At this point, I th- I'm pretty sure it was. I think that's just Italian worker the the uniform. Guy with a mustache <laughs> is the first assistant director, Lamberto Bava. Okay. Oh. <laughs> We've got Bava. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Not Mario, but the landlord's daughter is played by Lara Wendell, and she'd already been in Jello. She was only like 15 or 16 in this movie, oh. but she'd already been in the Perfume of the Lady in Black back in 1974. Wow. wow. As a child. Uh, and then she'd been in erotic dramas, several erotic dramas, uh, some some of them involving incest. Like uh, there's one called Mimi a couple of years before this. Wow. Uh, so she, she was already pretty well known in Italy. So I think there was a bit of uh, humor going on in, oh, in this scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the this same year, she was also, Antonioni was also shooting a, a movie called Identification of a Woman. Uh-huh. And uh, she's in that, and she's in Fellini's Intervista in '87. But yeah, so she was she was pretty well known in Italy at the time. Yeah, so I think there's a bit of that's exactly what they were doing. Joking going on there. So this is just what Italian workers look like. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm kind of think... still stuck on the Mario Brothers. Right. <laughs> I think they just wear overalls. Not, not the Giallo Lolita. Yeah, they got, they got the, the blue overalls. Right. And... Mm-hmm. The mustaches. Right. <laughs> hey, wait, when when did Super Mario come along? I should. I could look up like uh, Donkey Kong was the first appearance of Mario. Nineteen eighty-one. I would guess. Yeah. I mean that that stuff was all so, early eighties. Maybe that was a gag on that because he does look so much like Super Mario. I, I think it's the other way around. Okay. I don't think that they took Mario from these characters, no, no. but I think they're just. It's a. A basic source there. They're both drawing from actual Italian workers' right, right. clothes. So this might be a stock character. Yeah, I think so. Like you see old British shows where the guys would wear like the the brown. Uh, they'd be working in a warehouse and wear like kind of a khaki long mm-hmm. yeah, coat. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. 
made out of polyester. Uh huh. Yeah. They, and like any show, any British show with a worker before 1990 or so, that's what they wear. Right. So. 1981, by the way. Ah. Oh, so. Hmm. Right, while they were working on this. Yeah. Because very... Mario only had a mustache. Mario, the character, well, he... only had a mustache so you could tell his what his face was. Right. <laughs> because they were working with tiny little pixels. So. Yeah, there were there yeah. were only so many building blocks to describe what this character was. And I believe his name was Mustache Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the name Mario translates to. <laughs> yes. Because Donkey Kong was uh, some mistranslation, too. Oh, absolutely. He took... Donkey as being like stupid, oh. like to mean like he heard somebody call somebody a donkey or something, <laughs> and or a jackass, yeah. and he took it to be oh donkey is stupid, and Kong is a gorilla, right. King Kong. So Donkey Kong, because they sound kind of good. It's basically it's a dumb gorilla. <laughs> my understanding behind that okay the, the listeners were not expecting this were they? <laughs> no no that's, that's a good fact you know or pac-man was was puck man in japan oh that makes a lot more sense they changed it because yeah, people would, would that we pronounce paku or something they like you know they defaced the cabinet they were afraid so it would say fuck man oh <laughs> so they changed it to pac-man and got oh. rid of the k huh. so, wow all sorts of video game <laughs> nonsense, I know. They weren't wrong. It takes any teenager, like, 30 no. seconds to arrive at that defacing. Immediately. <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> There's another card. That's oh, a, yeah, yeah. That, okay. These little yellow cards come under his door. Yes. Yeah, yeah and the killer's there trapped between the... In the little vestibule while the workers are outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, is Anne going to see it on the floor and open the door? Hmm. And it's something in Latin about lesbians. Yeah. Transit Gloria Lesbos. Oh, okay. And then the um, the investigator at the morgue uh, is talking to the morgue guy. And, and do you notice that, like most movies... The mortician is is always the character. He's always eating sandwiches or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And this one's really, there's very little of that. I mean, he kind of grins at the end at something, but. Yeah, they make kind of he's a little not a dark big eccentric joke, but. Mortician. No. Yeah, he's a little silly, but he's not like yeah, a he's, caricature. He's just doing his job. He's not, yeah, it's not the usual, not what you'd expect, maybe. But he makes a connection that it's the same razor because of some nicks in the blade, mm -hmm. made some certain marks. Mm. So we know that it's not a copycat or anything like that. It's for real. And uh, Peter is going to appear on an afternoon TV show. And uh, John Saxon, of course, is fending off the investigator because the investigator is like, another murder, got to go talk to this author. You know, it's pretty clearly. Yeah. But he's, the detective is pretty nice to him, though, isn't he? Isn't oh, he's totally nice. He said he read his friend. books. He's, he's and, a fan, yeah. Yeah, he's a fan of the books and... Uh, how he could never guess who the killer was in any mystery, but he gets this killer like on page thirty or something yeah. in this book. I enjoy the only that. time. Yeah. Basically, you're a terrible mystery writer. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, that uh, that TV show host 
uh, has something to say about him. Cristiano Berti. Yeah. Played by John Steiner, who's another British actor who came to Italy. Oh, okay. So he was in Shock. Oh, yes. Yeah. I watched that one recently. Uh, He was in Deported Women of the SS Special Section. Huh. (laughs) Of course. Which is the first Italian Nazi exploitation film. The first Italian Nazi exploitation film. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, He's got his own idea on the book. So he yeah. says that Tenebrae is about punishing deviant humans. And Neil argues that it's the, that's the killer's madness. It's not the author's message. Yes. So it's this is like one of those ironies of the movie. It's like it's Argento talking about what people say to him. Uh-huh, exactly. It's the same with the, you know, the first question when whatever her name was was questioning yeah. him about the misogyny in his work. Oh, mm-hmm. at, the, at the press party. Yeah. Right, yeah. And he's like, I'm not. And they're like, no, but your work is. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the movie's like a joke. So so by the end of it, you know, the movie's saying, uh, you know, does art cause crime? Yeah. And at the end of it, the movie says, yeah. Yeah, art causes crime. <laughs> <Sure>. Totally. <laughs> Violent games like uh, video games like Donkey Kong are causing violence. <laughs> right. All the barrel rolling deaths that were occurring at the time. Man. <laughs> oh, I remember you couldn't go under a high building for a barrel coming down. Near. Right. Yeah. Right down all the scaffolding. Terrible. Human perversion and its effects on society is what I think the, the, uh, the host had said. Yeah. And people are literally killed by art in this movie <laughs> so man funny. you knew that was going to happen right the yeah. second when you that you saw that sculpture right. you mentioned that I was yeah like, totally i thought Anne was going to be staked on that because i think yeah. she's in that scene and passes by it mm-hmm. and she might be the killer yeah you don't know she might be right. the killer because i really thought john saxon was the killer for yes for a bit because he he was in all the scenes uh I mean, or like he was with the, the birdie guy and mm-hmm. then for the interviews. So he he overheard that conversation. There are a bunch of things that led me to believe that, which is all misdirection. Yeah. The, uh, the next thing that happens in the movie is the streetwalker scene. Right. So this is this whole long sequence leads up to Maria getting killed. And yeah. Yes. So she goes... Um, jumping over a fence because she's chased by a dog so this is all chance well yeah all yeah. chance so it's chance he leaves his key uh he and the killer leaves his key at the house right uh so that when he gets to this particular street which is known in rome as a street where prostitutes hang out i mm-hmm. think i think it's in knights of Kiberia as well um but uh when he gets there he's feeling for his keys realizes he's lost them and during that moment the woman gets away she gets picked up by john yeah right uh, so he goes back to the house and meanwhile uh yet another relationship has gone sour uh maria falls out with her boyfriend on the bike that wasn't gianni yeah no. well, it wasn't I she, it was she, gianni. she kind of flirts with gianni yeah but this guy is a different guy okay, okay so there's guy, another mirroring he's yeah so he's played by michele suavi okay who's the second assistant director and he went on to do the church and um, uh, Stage Fright. Okay. Um, Which are good movies. Uh, And he's done some really good TV cop films as well. Um, But yeah, so uh, Michele Suave is in this movie three times with three different... (laughs) It's easy when you have a helmet on. Yeah, so he's the the guy on the bike. He's the uh, 
when one of the flashbacks you see the woman with a guy in a blue blazer mm-hmm. that's him okay and then uh at the start of the plaza murder the killer goes into a bar and there's a guy in front of him in a blue sweater and that's michele suave as well oh. yeah so he's in it three so, times <laughs> so yeah maria has a fight with him and yeah she goes walking home on a really dark creepy looking street yeah and she's pissed and so when and she's very her. mad yeah and she kicks the the fence and everything and then the dog jumps the fence at some yeah. point she runs to the killers back yeah, when she goes to the very worst place you could, yeah. could possibly go this is back when a doberman would be somebody yeah see yeah. it was the early 80s dobermans were were the killer dog yeah yeah it all fits. Zoltan Hounded Dracula, I think, was the same same breed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you if you listen to the Argentic commentary, it's pretty funny because when it gets to the dog bit, he, like the the uh, the moderator is trying to get him to talk about the scene, but he's going, "Oh, that dog is so great, such a good actor, is such good heart, such good soul. Oh, look at his performance in this. You know, oh, how, look at how he jumps jumps that fence. He just loves this dog. <laughs> <laughs> Should have had him cloned." <laughs> Yeah, so poor Maria, man. She just... She gets had, mauled a couple yeah. times. Yeah. I thought it was like a pool house or something, but it was just an entry into the regular house. Yeah, you got a she, bunker. Yeah, she goes through a door that leads to the basement, I think. Yeah, yeah the door's like, still got that key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. she gets into his basement where you have the bare bulb, Yeah, yeah. which was rhymes with the, the bare bulb, which is in Tilda's mm-hmm. house. Right. Which he took out by hitting with a razor, yeah. instead of unscrewing it. Yeah, <laughs> because that's what you do. He's an Argento killer. You're a villain. You have <laughs> yeah, to he's, do he's stuff not going like to unscrew that. a bulb. He's going to whack no. it with a straight razor. No, he'd have to go get some gloves. <laughs> he had gloves. Oh, they man. always have black gloves. Yeah, he didn't need that razor at all. <laughs> she finds a bunch of evidence. Mm-hmm. Stuffs a bunch of it into her tiny skirt. Yeah. She, it, you see all these files, and he's he's got all this stuff ready for his doing his blackmail notes, and uh, yeah, that was great—the bowl full of cut-out letters. <laughs> and he's got all these files, and you, you can read them on, on the Blu-ray. You know, it's pretty clear what they say. They're all files and all the various people that you've seen killed. Mm-hmm. And it you know shows the places they frequent, what their habits are, what what he sees yeah. as their sins. Because before he goes to pick up the prostitute, he shows some file on her. And yeah. It has photos of her. Uh, you don't quite know who she is other than it says prostitute on it. Right. Uh, yeah, he notes that she's pretty and mm, yeah. this is where she goes, what time she she's on the job and yeah, things like that. So she comes pretty close to making the phone call that gets the guy busted. Yeah. But uh, now... Knowing two of the phones in this movie don't work, right? So, but knowing what we know about um, the killer at the end of the movie, and you know, since anyone listening to this should by now expect it to be spoiled, you know, we know it's the author. Why is his headquarters in this house? Well, there's two killers actually. Oh, okay. Didn't you get that? No. No, no, oh, no, no. You've got to no. see it again. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, this third viewing is completely in order. It's the, uh, it's, it's, uh, Birdie. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. So the first part of the movie, so remember it reflects. Yeah. It's a mirror. 
first part is Christiana Berti. That's why the woman gets killed in Rome before Neil reaches Rome. Yeah, I was trying to put together like, well, how did he do that? Was he lying mm-hmm. about his flight? So he's he's like, he's he's like doing homage to Neil and his book, but he's he's clearly nuts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he's he's punishing people he sees as deviants. So any any transgression. So if they're a kleptomaniac. You know, if they're oh yes yes if they're gay if they're you know you know whatever he, he'll he's he's got a file on them and he'll he'll track them down and kill them oh, yeah wow. so he was the killer until johnny and peter go to the house because peter yeah. recognizes the line in the in the little ransom note right. human perversion right the, the the switchover point is the darkest shot in the movie so the door closes and leaves the apartment, and it's the darkest. There's, everything goes shady. Yeah. The camera tracks left, and uh, and then you it goes along the uh, that crystal plumage sculpture. Yeah. And then the light hits the music builds. The light hits and it glints, and then from then on, it's the second part of the movie, and it's a different killer. Okay. Yeah. Makes a lot more sense now, because I was trying to figure out like, why did he go in and set all this up at this dude's house, <laughs> and uh, was he planning to kill this dude before he saw it, and thus setting him up, taking the blame? Yeah, okay, all right, this is it's all coming together. <laughs> I I don't know if a lot of people would get that on the first viewing. Oh no, you know, and, and for me, you know, second viewing, third viewing, like when when would this have actually made some sense? But uh, poor Maria, she, yeah, she gets it, and she keeps it together. She like gets, and she she sees where she is, yeah, and she like starts stuffing the evidence in her pockets because she knows, yeah, know, nobody's gonna believe frantic her. Frantic girl saying, "Oh, I found the killer." Yeah, yeah, and when uh, she makes a run for it, she's trying to slow him down by winging the evidence right and left, mm-hmm. and basically saying, you know. But then he asks her a question. Yeah, <laughs> let me ask you something, and he asks her. Right in the stomach. I was really expecting a couple of these characters to get away until her. Mm-hmm. And after her, I thought, no, right. everybody dies. <laughs> this is the movie where everybody dies. Yeah. Everybody dies at the point they find the truth as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. Um, yeah. The, the lawnmower person, the groundskeeper, whatever, finds mm-hmm. the evidence and her body the next morning. Mm-hmm. And that. Yeah, man, it's a drag. But uh, Peter and the gang are talking about Maria's murder, and he recognizes that the same language used by the TV host yeah. uh, was used, mm-hmm. like, like you said. And that's, yeah. that's So they go to his house, and Johnny looks through the window and sees the TV host get killed with an axe. Yeah, he's he's uh, doing some pretty good sleuthing. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But then so, we, so this is like your your amateur sleuth that you get the most jello. Yeah. Mhm. Argento. Come on, gang, let's go check it uh, out. This goes back to the like, roots <laughs> of jello with the, the Agatha Christie and Yeah. And there's there's lots of references to Conan Doyle in this movie. Uh-huh. Like, uh, he's reading Hound of the Baskervilles when he's on the plane and Oh, was he? Yeah. I know he talks about uh when you eliminate yeah, that, that comes after this killing, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that now? 
Well, um, before we do, there's there is like a brief dream sequence again. Mm. Okay, yeah. With, with the red shoe woman getting stabbed. Uh huh. And and at this point, I'm like, clearly this is a vignette showing us something from the book. But then, like you said, it's something from real life. Yeah. So go ahead. Just want to yeah. So then then he's he's with uh, Jimani, and Jimani's like questioning him because he's he thinks he has insight into solving mysteries. And uh, and and he says, you know, how he hasn't solved murder mysteries uh-huh, and things yeah. like that. And uh, um, and then he he gives the he gives the quote, and he says, um, uh, "When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth." Uh, and then uh, Giamani says, "Oh, the Hound of the Baskervilles." Yeah, which is wrong. Oh, is it? <laughs> which which book is it? Uh, it is actually from the Sign of Four. Oh, okay. <laughs> Those exact words are from the Sign of Four, chapter six. Excellent. Uh, but this this is a maxim that Holmes uses often. It's it's basically Occam's razor. Yeah. It's, right. Uh, and it's in several forms in several of the stories. Uh, so the closest thing you get, I I, I went through the Hand of the Baskervilles. I'm that much of a nerd. <laughs> uh, the closest thing you get in Hand of the Baskervilles is. Um, when they're wondering if it's actually supernatural, if it's the devil, mm-hmm. uh, Holmes says, we are bound to exhaust all other hypotheses before falling back upon this one. That's the closest you get to yeah. chapter three. Uh, so at first I thought, oh, is this a flub? Why are you referring to the wrong story here? Uh-huh. But I'm wondering, uh, if is it deliberately trying to make us think of Hound instead? Because that's like a... Uh, that's a story where it seemed to concern the supernatural, but it's actually rational. Uh, and this, this, what Tenebrae does is it, it gives you this kind of rational seeming investigation going on. So you think it's going to be like a whodunit. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, uh, and, and he, uh, once people find out the truth, that's their mm-hmm. annihilation. Yes. Uh, people, people, you know, the last character is just mad. Yeah, uh, and everyone else is dead, uh, and that's when they found out the truth. Um, uh, also, in Hound, there's relationships which turn out to be not what they seem like. People who are actually who are lovers, but they're they pose as relatives. Oh yeah. Um, there's a clue in plain sight hidden in a work of art. Ah. Classic Argento. There's this portrait. Uh-huh. One of the ancestors on the wall, and Holmes like masks off the beard and so on, and Watson gets who it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and and also it's a rational story, but there's several kind of holes in it. You think, like, how did they figure out uh-huh. that? Well, there's no way you'd be able to tell that from what the clues yeah. that are given. And uh, Hound is another one. It, as, you know, so many people have examined it, and they've come up with different uh, solutions for it. Oh. Say, oh, it's not that person who did it. It's something else happened. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's it's one of the mis- misdirections in this movie. Kind of bits of, kind of like an in-joke. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Playing with uh, the idea of misdirecting you and and how, you know, you follow all these rational lines of thinking and then the, the craziest thing is what actually happens. Yeah. So you have this guy who's saying... You eliminate the impossible and whatever remains, however improbable. And what you're looking at is the solution to the mystery. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't know it at the time. 
So how did the whole eliminate the impossible blah 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 get turned into elementary dear Watson? <laughs> I don't know, where, where does he say that? He must say. He only that. says it in the movies, he, I believe. He does, yeah. I don't think he ever says it in the book. Really? Yeah, I, I can't. I don't. I mean, that. it's been so long since I read mm-hmm. any Sherlock. I know he, he doesn't. There's no mention of a deer stalker. Yeah, no. Like he, he has no a deer cloth stalker. cap, and that's the closest it mm-hmm. gets. That's all from the illustrations. Why the yeah. hell are those called a deer stalker? Is that supposed to be a hunting cap? Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's got these flaps cap. on the sides that come down. Oh, okay. Like Elmer Fudd's, but Elmer Fudd's right. is all fur <laughs> Right. A little bit different. Yeah. Elmer Fudd wears more of a toque, which is what the Canadians call an Elmer Fudd hat. Oh, okay. I think when, we were, when we were kids, we used to just call them Elmer Fudd hats. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we ever had a name for them. Hunting you, caps. spelled toque. I don't know if it's T-U-K-E. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that's how the Canadians spell it. We have some listeners in Canada now, so we should probably not joke on thinking, you know, Canada's anything other than awesome. Because we, we've thrown that joke out there a couple times. And have we talked bad about Canada? No, the movies they make. Yeah, we've talked bad about Canada. Just Canadian movies. All right. Just not all Canadian we'll, movies. We'll promise to do some Cronenberg. Hey, yeah, because yeah, we talked about the brood was pretty awesome. John Micklethor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyone's gonna who's gonna defend that? <laughs> Nobody. No matter what country he was country, from. Yeah. Oh, you never did watch that movie. I didn't it. watch the the Micklethor. I forgot all about it. I think it. it's called I Am Thor. Yeah. But we love our neighbors to the north. Maybe it's still at least there. I do. <laughs> it's the perfect cross between Canada or between. Uh, it's the perfect cross between Wisconsin and Europe. Yeah. <laughs> That's Canada. So, um... Oh, and the other thing you see in this scene is when they're talking in the garden, behind them there's a lamp, and you see a lamp just like it at the end. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Well, damn it. <laughs> it's just right out in the open and obvious. Oh, there's tons of stuff. Like, uh, you remember he gets two identical typewriters? That is yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. That's, that one's easy to and they do, And they cut back to those later, and they're on two slightly different levels. Right. I, I did notice that. Right. Um, there, there's the, the uh, revelation that uh, the John Saxon character is, is uh, in a relationship with Jane. Mm-hmm. So that's revealed uh, in a conversation the two of them are having. And it's just before... Uh, Peter wants to take off and leave Rome, and uh, the cops want him to leave too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the cops are like, "Get out of here! You're causing nothing but trouble and murder." And uh, and he's been uh, after we kind of get okay. Uh, the John Saxon character, I can't remember his name, but uh, we just keep calling him John Saxon. <laughs> yeah, uh, AJ Bulmer. Okay, the guy from Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> so AJ uh, is saying, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't leave. He kind of wants, they want to tell him, don't they, about the relationship? Is that, is that what the conversation was kind of indicating? Yeah, they know it's going to come out. But... They can't hide it forever. Mm. But, you know. Yeah, she's having difficulties as well. Like She's seeing a psychologist. Yeah. Like she kind of, yeah, you know, Peter Neal says, like, she can't be away from her yeah, shrink she, for more than yeah, um, 10 hours or something. Yeah. <laughs> Every 10 hours. <laughs> that shrink is so happy to be getting those kind of fees. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's another suspect, you know. Because mm-hmm. be yeah. like, she turns up at a certain point 
Right. Yeah. Scene of a crime. And uh, Peter is asked to go to the crime scene and detectives ask him questions. And, uh, you know, they disclose that the TV host was obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and of course, at that point, I thought it was a setup to make it look like he was obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. He really wasn't. But I should believe what they're saying because they're flat out saying it. (laughs) And then uh, Jane finds a gift, which we assume is from A.J., also known as John Saxon. Well, it could be from him. Or, or But Peter. these are the exact shoes that the killer is obsessing on. Uh-huh. Right. right. So she's yeah. being made into the twin. Yeah. The right. double of the trauma woman. Yeah, from, from the dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Which, at this point, we, don't, we still don't know what that sequence mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And she thinks the shoes are great. She puts them on. She goes to meet AJ. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's... At the piazza. Yeah, I wrote that he's waiting in some plaza and doesn't see her, and... So what, what does this scene remind you of? Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think back on, like, in this movie? Like, what's it mirroring? Does it remind you of another movie? Oh. I don't know. It reminds me of that the crop duster scene in North by Northwest. Oh, okay. Because oh. he's, he's out there in the, the open in the sun. You think, you know, what can possibly Nothing hurt can him? happen yeah. to him, yeah. Yeah, it's broad daylight. And he's just sitting there looking around and, you know, because he's actually looking, he's not doing anything else. He starts to see these odd bits of chaos breaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relationships yeah. going wrong. Bratty kids being bratty. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh... It looks like he's maybe being stood up. Yeah. Yeah, because he's looking around. He doesn't see anybody that anybody he's waiting for, and we assume it's her. Mm-hmm. And um, and suddenly he gets stabbed. Right. And I'm watching the movie, going, "Come on!" In, in the middle of this crowd in broad daylight, no killer wouldn't do that. But what does what does the killer do to get away? Just blend into the crowd? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would assume. But wow. Yeah. Were you shocked by this? Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of trying to piece that scene together. Yeah, his hat falls but, off. But his hat <laughs> fell off. Yes. So. So he, he's waiting by the bench, and he, he's got his Time magazine with Ronald Reagan on the cover. And he's, and he's just like looking around the plaza, and he's seeing these odd things going. Well, they're, yeah. not, they're not out of the ordinary. No, really. no, there's like a couple fighting, yeah. and there's a guy fighting in the restaurant. And then there's this woman, the crying woman starts coming towards him, uh-huh. walking oh, in that's his direction. Right. And then there's this family just near him, and the boy's playing with a ball, and he's mm-hmm. like laughing at the kid, and and uh, everything seems pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and then he turns, and then there's this shadow falls across him, and he turns around, and he kind of recognizes someone, and then the and then, then he the knife stabbed. goes in, yeah. yeah, and he falls down, and then the crying woman comes up, and uh, and he grabs onto her. He's been curled up oh, on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And he grabs onto her and she looks down and she sees the blood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've come for your liver. <laughs> I'm still using it. <laughs> I think that's what, the dialogue that was in Italian, which got mistranslated. Sure. Uh, of course, uh, Peter is supposedly off to the airport at that point. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, you twice. You get him, you get a killing, and then it shows him, and it but it shows the plane that he's supposedly on. Right. 
so you know he can't be him right yeah it can't possibly be him and then then it's the scene where gianni goes back to the death house yes mm-hmm. and he remembers something yeah it's always like oh, there's something i missed something yeah, yeah. It's a jar yeah. of my memory by going back to the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same in Crystal Plumage. Yeah. Yeah. The, the guy is just like, I killed them all. <laughs> He's just like so twerpy and weird. <laughs> and like you said, with the weird mustache and all that stuff. Uh, it starts raining and that's the water that you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. It just starts pouring rain. It's really heavy. Yeah, like Kurosawa level rain, like almost like a rain machine got turned off. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, you know, they they can they can decide how, how much rain comes out of those things. Yeah, so it's a deliberate choice to make it super heavy. Yeah, and these days they can just make digital rain. <laughs> oh God, don't give them ideas. Now they do. The digital blood is ridiculous. It's the worst looking CG there is. Yeah. For oh, something that is so cheap and easy to do. <laughs> well, the reasoning is you can do retakes. You don't have to wash oh, it out. Oh, certainly, anything. you know, but still, Every, it looks mm-hmm. so fakey. Yeah. The solution to that is all of your people who get killed in your movie should be naked. <laughs> it's easier to clean them off. You don't worry about wardrobe. That's it. Then uh, you can use fake blood, no Excellent CG. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Bring back the nudie cutie movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, for example, um, you know, Entrails of a Beautiful Woman. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that got it right. There you go. Yeah. I think we, it had been a week learn. since I thought of that movie. Thank you. If, if you had it on a coffee mug, you could think about it every morning. Oh, man. I think I might get that. <laughs> Zazzle. That movie <laughs> fucked me up. <laughs> I feel bad for liking that movie so much. (laughs) And it was so terrible. You liked it better than some really good movies, didn't you? (laughs) I Yeah. Yeah, I will say I liked it better than some really good movies. I think once the watermelon hit the ground. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was it. I was sold. Because before that, I was like, wow, this is a a lot of rape for a movie. Now you're like, Casablanca, have you guys seen (laughs) Entrails of a Beautiful Woman? (laughs) Citizen Kane. It is the Citizen Kane of... uh, (laughs) Of whatever. (laughs) Whatever it was. Entrail Beautiful Women genre. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it's got its own genre named after it. Oh, man. Poor Gianni, though. He gets strangled. Yeah, he's so like, nice. Like you said, the thing with the key back in his car. Mm-hmm. Gets to the car. He's soaking wet. Can't find the key. Yeah. Yeah. Dies like he's in a Godfather movie. Yeah. That's painful. Ah, that's a terrible way to die. And he gets the last look. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. So uh, what happens next? Uh, Jane calls the uh, the other assistant... Yeah, she she calls, she calls Anne, Anne to meet Anne. out with her. Yeah, and she she sits there with a gun on her table. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out what the hell's up yeah. with the gun. Well, she said she she wanted Anne to come over because she was going to kill herself. Yes, she's a she's fears the second person inside her. Yeah. So is the gun to protect herself because she knows people are being knocked off by so, people associated with the Peter Neal? Is she planning to shoot Anne? Yeah. I assumed it was for protection against slashers. Hmm. That was my assumption. Yeah, I was still, I was still not sure. Of course, I 
also for the longest time just thought that Captain Ahab was pissed off because that whale bit his leg off. <laughs> and that's all there was to it. There's more? <laughs> Apparently. Is there a lot of symbolism in that book? I didn't Apparently. realize. Well, most of it is about Scrimshaw. Yeah. <laughs> thought it was all whaling techniques. And yeah, mostly. Hiding in coffins. <laughs> if, you, if you read the book... You'll see. A, you'll learn more about whaling than you ever wanted to know. Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> it's pretty. It's but pretty. it's kind of awesome because if you read that book now, I mean, he didn't know that this would be the case, but or maybe he did. Uh, you read that book now. There's no whaling now. I wouldn't know what any whaling jargon jargon or anything <laughs> means. So and it kind of makes that book. I don't know. A little more self-contained. It yeah. also builds on the whole obsession bit, but we could speak about Moby Dick for several hours, I'm sure. Or Mocha Dick. If Mocha you, Dick. If you remember Mocha Dick from a past episode. Mocha Dick. Yes. Yeah. yeah, barely. It's yeah. a long time ago. Apparently the, the whale that uh, Moby Dick was modeled after was Mocha Dick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Who is not a 70s pimp, as we discovered. Damn. <laughs> so uh, then a hatchet comes through the window and chops <laughs> off Jane's arm. Yeah. This is so abrupt. And right. she sprays blood on the wall like it's some futurist painting. Yeah. It was. Yeah, and it also reminds me of Throne of Blood. There's the... Uh, th- the throw-in of blood? Throne of blood. <laughs> oh, The okay. uh, Kurosawa's take on Macbeth. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the couple are in... You know, their room has this massive stain that no one can get out of the walls from yeah. someone who committed suicide. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, she she paints the walls. She's, she really she's throwing, paints walls. She's throwing the blood. They, uh, yeah, they, they were to get that right. They they had like hoses and stuff rigged up, but uh, nothing was like gave quite that explosion. So they actually rigged up squibs to go off. And, oh. Yeah, oh. Like, so when that. Yeah, when she gets her arm chopped off, there's like... Nothing looked real enough, so they chopped her arm <laughs> off for real. Well, it, it has to be super real, you know. It's like... Yeah. You know, oh. Again, with Kurosawa, you have like uh, Sanjiro and so on. You have... When people get hacked, it, there's this fountain. Mm-hmm. You know, people's bodies are obviously high-pressure yeah. hose systems. <laughs> oh, man. They should have just consulted the Monty Python guys. <laughs> You know, that scene with the Black Knight. Oh, yeah, so she could have gone, oh, it's just a scratch. Yeah. It's just a scratch. Come back, you coward. <laughs> so then she gets hacked up, and then... Another An- another dream sequence out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Anne shows up. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, Altieri has been investigating. She's talked to the, the Filipino woman who's the... Oh, that's right. Made for Bulma. So she gets the... She gets the lead to, and she goes to see Jane. So she comes in first, and because she's yeah. a double of Anne, she yeah. gets whacked. Yeah. How unfortunate. <laughs> so he doesn't know it's her in, until the others arrive. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a bummer. So Jumani and Anne come in, and he realizes he's, he's killed the wrong woman. Yeah, and then he slits his throat. Right, the yeah. end. The end, you think? Yeah, yeah. Ta-da! And uh, th- they do have a conversation about the um, about Peter being around during the you know the killing of a girl when he was young in Rhode Island. Yeah, 
that's finally when you can say, oh, mm-hmm. maybe this goofy dream sequence is something to do that with That was that. all Peter. Yeah. And, uh... Although yeah. you don't really... I guess you assume that he did kill her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's the most likely thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, she sticks her heel in his throat, and then he gets yeah. mad and kills her. Yeah. What about the other guys? I mean, they would be witnesses, wouldn't they? Well, it looked like it was later. Oh. It looked like it was some time later, and he was hiding out, and they were, I don't know, at a party or what yeah. they were doing, but she's kind of looking off into the yeah, woods she's, she's walking along with Michele Suave, and then he goes off somewhere, mm-hmm. and then the, the killer comes out of the bushes and stabs her. And, and again, there's like other people like 100 yards away in bright daylight, and they don't see it. Yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> and uh, so Peter axes the detective in the back. Scully. Scully, yeah. yeah. And there's that great revelation. Yeah, Uh Knocks the sculpture over the girlfriend. Oh, but we've got to talk about that revelation. The detective bends down. Right. And then behind him, it reveals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's Peter Neal with the axe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's uh, not dead. Okay. Yeah, so this this reveal, cause... you see it in De Palma. You see mm-hmm. Raising Kane is in What Lies Beneath. Yeah, everything seems calm and normal until they move and the person is like their shadow. Yeah. Um. There's, I think this is the. F- uh, there is there's a film called Hands of a Stranger, which was made in 1960. Uh huh. Came out in '62, and it's a, one of the versions of Hands of Orlack. Okay, yeah. And there's two instances in that film where the where a foreground character moves out of the way, and then the killer is behind. Them. Is revealed. Uh, that's the uh, that's the only other things I can think of uh, where it uses that that gag. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a really impressive shot. Oh yeah, it's it's it was shot perfectly. And then of course this is the part where, um, the uh, the detective knocks the sculpture over. Uh, he axes him in the back. Yeah. Detective knocks the sculpture over and is falling, doesn't he? Yeah. So he yeah. He, he, he knocks Stumbles the into he knocks it. the lamp, which hits the sculpture, which <laughs> hits the door. Yeah. Just as Anne comes back to the house. Yeah. yeah, it's not exactly Rube Goldbergian, but it's <laughs> but but there's the lamp. Yeah, yeah, and the sharp bit of art. This yeah. is my art, and it's dangerous. <laughs> right, and uh, is it supposed to be just like perfectly poetic that the girlfriend comes in and knocks the thing over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets killed by art. Yeah. yeah, but she sets it in motion. So art, mm-hmm. art does kill. Yeah. yeah. So she has, she has, I don't know if she has any idea that it's him, but she comes in and she's suddenly, she's in this room and there's pe- axed up people. There's, you know, there's a hand on the table. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, and then there's her, her lover, uh, you know, author, companion. And he's, he's got this piece of sculpture sticking out of his stomach, which she's put there accidentally. So she just loses it. When they looked at the fake, the fake blood squirting razor, that was a pretty fancy blood squirting razor. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, that was like Hollywood level. Yeah, where do you get one of those? He sells them. At, you know, uh, Argento and um, Luigi Cozzi have a shop in Rome called Deep Red Profondo Rosso, uh-huh. and they sell those razors. Really? 
man, I need one. <laughs> it's time to go to Rome. It's time to go to Rome. I'm never going to Italy. <laughs> it's full of nothing but spookies and killers. Yeah. It's nothing but bad news. All the old architecture's gone. It's been replaced with this Mussolini era crowd. Well, I did kind of like the brutalist houses they had. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. So the, the only Italian woman who's ever stayed with us at our house uh-huh. lives in that area. Really? Wow. <laughs> she was so excited that we knew who Argento was. Oh, that's oh, wow. awesome. So did you have long conversations about all oh, this yeah, stuff? Oh, yeah. Good. Did you learn anything you would not have known otherwise? Um, not really. My, my Italian's about as good as her English. Oh. Oh, oh that's too bad. Ciao. She's like, it's so very nice. And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> Damn. Well, uh, her screaming goes into the credits, which yeah. is kind of cool style-wise. If you listen to the, the Argento commentary, what happened at, when they were recording the commentary, this pop song comes on, this Kim Wilde song comes on. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and you, you tell they're all shocked. You're like, where did this come from? <laughs> it's supposed to be Goblin, you know, and there's this Kim Wilde singing away. Yeah, they're really shocked, so they, but they, they replaced it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good one. Yeah. It was fantastic. Now, clearly, anybody in their right mind would recommend this one. And, of course, mm-hmm. I do. I say, look at it. Uh Obviously, if you're listening to this and you chose to be spoiled, you, you know a lot going into it, and uh, you'll get more out of it, I suppose, on your first viewing. But anybody who has watched it and listened to this might want to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, it definitely rewards rewatching yeah. every time. I, yeah. I've, I watched it three times in the last week. Loved it every time. Yeah. I watched it twice and didn't know what the hell was going on <laughs> half the time at least, and still really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will, I recommend? Definitely recommend. Yeah. So, any ideas for next time? Um, I know we're getting close to the 50th anniversary of Manos Hands of Faith. Fate. <laughs> Fate. Fate. Oh, man. I haven't watched that properly. Um, yeah. I've only seen the Mystery Science Theater. And that's the thing is, I haven't seen it in either of... Uh, uh, version so i'm kind oh of... my god i've got the mystery science theater one and a live riff tracks one they did oh, that's man. got more of the movie because oh, they wow. cut it down for and it also has the restored version which is like letterboxed which is why <laughs> why i mean it's polishing the turd at this point it's, <laughs> it's not going to be any good um do you, do you feel like it's because the anniversary is coming up? Okay, let's do Manos. We yeah. could watch Manos. I think it'd be fun, uh, from what I've heard about it anyway. Hands, and, the hands of fate. Yeah, my nephew my <laughs> nephew Gianni, I'm sorry, Johnny, uh, right. recommended that because it's the 50th anniversary of the movie. Certainly. That uh, it would be a good one to do. It's when a fertilizer salesman buys a lot of film <laughs> and doesn't want to waste it. <laughs> <laughs> a fertilizer salesman you say yep in el paso texas and that's you're not you, that's not uh figuratively that's literally no i'm not kidding at all he bought uh that's how it got me he bought a bunch of film and a camera i don't know an auction i don't remember quite where he bought it um 
I think he bought an auction lot and it was there. So they made a movie. <laughs> so did they write a script or just make stuff up as they went? Uh, I think there was a script. Huh. Wow. Everything I've heard is that it's just terrible. And You've not seen it? No. Oh, okay. not even a little. Oh, what a treat for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a re-release of Astro Zombies. Oh, yeah. With the riff tracks on it that I've not seen. Okay. I've that, seen Astro Zombies, which is makes Manos look yeah, I've got that good. One. Hey, it's bad enough for the Misfits to write a song. Well, Astro Zombies has got Tourist Satana it. in it, but it does. But but it still doesn't save it. It's so dull. Well, the uh, director of that died just recently, didn't he? I think Seth so. Michaels. Yeah. Yeah. From embarrassment. No, because <laughs> it is. That was a long time ago. He made yeah, those. he made that one. What, he made 60s? Girl in the Golden Boots, which is another He did terrible. The Squad. That's his other I think so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, should we get yeah. out of here? Okay. I think so. Let's call it a show. So we talked about our first uh, Dario Argento as a feature uh, of a sh- show, and I think we we dug pretty deep into it. And I learned a thing or two along the way. I'm pretty happy about that. I learned about arcade games. Yeah. (laughs) You're glad we could tell you what year Donkey Kong showed up. Yeah. Those were totally the Mario Brothers. God. Except for there was only one Mario at the time. There wouldn't have been two, so... No. No, yeah, there was only the one mustached man. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's call it a good one. All right. Till next time. Stay off the moors.